Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7 is where we are. We're concluding our look at the Sermon on the Mount today. And beginning in verse 13 of chapter 7, Jesus really gives the invitation. He preaches the Sermon on the Mount, shares with what God's kingdom was about, and then he gives the invitation. And the invitation is very serious time. Uh, it's a time when people have to choose. I want to read beginning in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Then the companion passage to this is Luke 6, 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house. It could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Would you pray with me? Lord, we realize that these words are very, very stern and very strong, very narrow. Satan will do everything he can to keep people from hearing this today. So we're asking that your spirit would permeate this place, giving freedom for the truth to be expounded, to be received, and people's lives would be changed not by anything that I might say, but because of Jesus, that their lives would change. We pray for those that may be watching online, those who may be seeing this on television, that you would touch their lives where they are right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Charles Swindoll wrote a book entitled Growing Deep in the Christian Life, In that book, he gave this illustration. He said, several years ago in Long Beach, California, a fellow went into a a fried chicken place and bought a couple of chicken dinners for himself and his date late one afternoon. 
The young woman at the counter mistakenly gave him the proceeds from the day's business along with some chicken. After driving to their picnic site, the two of them sat down to open the meal and enjoy some chicken. They discovered a whole lot more than chicken. Eight, over $800 was in that bag. Well, the man quickly put the money back in the bag. They got back in the car and drove all the way back to where the chicken place was. He got out, walked in, and became an instant hero. The manager was frantic. The guy with the bag of money looked at the manager in the eye and said, I want you to know I came by to get a couple of chicken dinners and wound up with all this money. Here it is. Well, the manager was thrilled, and he said, let me call the newspaper. I'm going to have your picture put in the local newspaper. You're the most honest man I've heard of. And the man said, oh, no, 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 don't do that. He leaned over closer to the manager, and he said, look, You don't understand. The woman I'm with is not my wife. She belongs to somebody else. (laughs) Looks can be deceiving. We can do good things and yet underneath be full of sin. Jesus is still giving the invitation. In fact, he comes right down to it. And I'm going to tell you, for some reason, it's hard for me to preach this passage. I don't know why other than maybe Satan doesn't want people to hear it. I had a difficult time at 8 o'clock, not because I don't believe it, but just it's almost like something had a hold of my tongue. Now, I've, I've, I've loosened it up since that time, so maybe it'll be a little better. But Jesus basically is calling people to the kingdom. He's saying, you've got to leave, leave all of this religious, this religious stuff, all this false religion, and follow me, is what he's saying. He said, there's a narrow gate. Only few are going to find it. He said, not only that, when you enter this narrow gate, you've got to come in without anything. You don't bring in partial salvation and Jesus does the rest. You come in basically with nothing to offer God and say, Lord, I, without you, I cannot be saved because I have nothing to offer except my sin. And so you enter that way. You must come in by yourself. No one else can do it for you. It requires coming in with brokenness of heart to be poor in spirit, to say, God, I don't have anything to offer. Those of us who were raised in church, it would be real easy for us to think, well, you know, I was about 20% saved before I ever came to Jesus. No, you weren't 20% anything but lost. Only Jesus can wash away your sin. And he said, in the process, you've got to avoid all of these false prophets, all of these people who make up stuff and tell you things that that's as an addendum to Jesus. Basically, it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's not Jesus plus anything that equals salvation. But man comes up with his own rules. We come up with our own righteousness. And in verse 21 and 23, you see a contrast between false and good or true professions of faith. We see the contrast between obedience and disobedience. And today there's a, there's a, trust me, I believe in grace. We've been singing about grace all morning. We've been singing about Jesus. But I want to tell you something. Just because you're saved by grace does not mean that your life does not change, that you can live as if you want still in your sin. Be characterized by sin. 
So the Lord's not speaking. What's amazing, he's not speaking to irreligious people or atheists or agnostics or pagans. He's speaking to people that go to church. He's speaking to religious people. He's speaking to good people. Or at least they think they are. But he said, people who are devoted only to their religion or only to their works or only to their own way of being saved, they're lost. They're building on sinking sand. He said, but those who follow my words, Jesus is saying, his words, and do them, you're building on the rock. And so today, again, there's only two choices, which is sort of anti-American. We like more than one choice. You got one of two choices. You either follow Jesus or you don't. There's no middle ground. There's no partially following him. So first of all, Jesus mentions what I call false and faithful followers. Look at verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Now, notice the similarities here. They both hear. They both hear the truth. One of them responds to it, one of them doesn't, but they both hear it. So hearing's not the problem. It's following through. It's doing is the problem. Another thing that's similar is they build in the same general location. The same storm hits both of them. So they got to be close proximity. Who knows? They may have even gone to the same church, heard the same preaching, went to the same Bible study, and so forth. They also built uh, the same kind of house. They, well, first of all, they built a house. They proceeded to build a house after they heard the plan of salvation. Some people build it on their own work. Some build it on Jesus. And then the house that they built... It's the same kind of house. It all looks good from the outside. I mean, you folks look good today. You come in here, you're all cleaned up, dressed up. You you look good, and nobody knows that you're anything but what you look like today, unless they know you or live close to you or work with you. But the fact is, we, we look like we're followers of Jesus. People will come into church. They will sing about him. They will give. They will do all kinds of things. But it doesn't mean that they're committed to him. I got amused at, a, at Helen Hudson who said, looks are so deceptive that people should have labels on them like food packages that shows the ingredients of them. Now, wouldn't that be nice if you could walk up and read the ingredients of somebody on the inside? So let's look at these two. Let's look at the false and let's look at the faithful. First of all, the false, when I, I use these terms just to help you remember, but he talks about a, a fake or a faux faith and failing foundation. You, have you ever seen faux wood? I've never seen a faux tree, have you? But even they get wood off of it. Or, or faux fur? Fake. Maybe it comes off of a fake animal, fake fur. (laughs) It can look like the real thing, but not be there. My first church as a senior pastor, I was 25 years old, First Baptist Church of Strong, Arkansas. Used to be named Victoria, Arkansas, but a tornado wiped it out. The people who stayed renamed it Strong. It's back in the deep woods. You pump daylight back in there to those folks. <laughs> redneck land. Fit me fine. I am a redneck. 
First Baptist Strong had a building that needed to be rebuilt. It was about to fall in. And the church was beginning to grow. We were only 786 people in the town, but the church was beginning to grow, and we needed to build and rebuild and some stuff. And so the first building that was going to be built was right behind the current auditorium that was going to be a, a fellowship hall and, and a big building, and it was, back, it was going to be built on the parking lot. Now, the parking lot was not paved, but it had been parked on so many years and had gravel on it, it was as hard as a brick. And we were going to have a groundbreaking ceremony back there, but the problem is we had to bring in a, a plow to break the ground so that we could have a groundbreaking. <laughs> because if you stuck a shovel in it, it'd be as hard as concrete. So we had a groundbreaking and didn't think anything about it until they brought a track hoe. A track hoe looks like a crane, but it's got the bucket on it, the big bucket. They brought a track hoe out there and started digging the earth back to lay the foundation. And one day the track hoe sunk. Now, I didn't seek out of sight by any means, but it was stuck to the point it couldn't get out because when they got down under that crust on top, it looked like soup. It looked like water and mud. And all these years they've been parking on that, thinking, oh, this is as solid as a rock. And they had to have other machinery pull that track hoe out of that. But the point was, and they hauled in dirt in order to make a good foundation, but it looked good on the surface. But underneath, it wouldn't hold anything. There are a lot of people like that. They can look good on the surface. And the sand that Jesus is talking about, obviously, could have been a riverbed that had dried up. And if you've not ever done this, sometimes you ought to go on YouTube and just um, search flash flood. And, you'll, and sometimes you'll see these riverbeds where upstream it will rain or way up in the mountains it'll rain and all of a sudden this massive wall of water and debris and trees and everything else come flooding down there. Well, this sand, that was not an uncommon sight because there'd be a lot of things that were dried up until it rained. And so you wouldn't think about building in that, but this sand in this passage is referring to the sand of man-made religions, man-made stuff, man-made opinions and attitudes and direction. And we, we have a tendency, and to build the, the life on this means that your life's always going to be shifting because man's opinion is shifting all the time. I mean, we're dealing with things today that 25 years ago we would never thought we were dealing with. But yet man's opinions and man's made up stuff is shifting all the time. And the thing about it, when people follow this, it's the easy way. Jesus has already said there's a narrow gate that you follow. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's very narrow. But the easy way is to go with the flow. Because after all, when you follow Jesus, he really demands too much of you, doesn't he? It's a hard thing to do, to follow Christ. It's, it's not easy, and it's not quick. We want to be grown up instantly. I'm saved by the faith, by the grace of Jesus Christ. Now I want to be grown. I, I want my spiritual growth to come through the drive through window. Let me go, just hand it to me in a bag when I come through. But it takes time to grow. It takes, you got to dig deep. You got to look into the word. It's not quick. It's also the, the fake way is superficial. There's, they're about this deep. 
And how do you know? Because the first time a real trial comes along, they don't have any foundation to stand on. The person who's superficial looks for what is pleasing rather than for what is right. Look for what is enjoyable than what is true. Look what is, everybody else tolerates instead of what God says is right or wrong. And because of that, there are a lot of people who are like the sower, the parable of the sower, when Jesus said, some, some stone, some seed fell on shallow ground, a rocky soil, he called it. It, it basically meant a shallow spot, he says, but in, in describing it to his disciples in Matthew 13, he said, they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, yet... He has no firm root in himself, but he's only temporary. And when the affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. The foolish man will be the first one to say, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. But then Jesus says, but you know what? Foxes have holes and birds have nests, of the, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And then the foolish man says, well, wait a minute then. I need to go take care of my family until they die. And, and, later, and basically making excuses. He wasn't against the family. But basically making, I'll, I'll eventually get around to that later. But the, the rain and the floods... There are storms of life, but you know what he's talking about here? He's talking about the storm that's going to happen one day. Now, what storm are we talking about? We're talking about, y'all pay attention to me. I'm telling you, Satan doesn't want you listening to this today. It's not by accident. The storm is the final judgment that's going to come. And all of us, are looking for that. We're going to face it, aren't we? Those who have built on anything but Jesus are not going to make it. They're not going to heaven. Those who've built, on, built their life on Jesus Christ don't have to worry about it because you're not going to face that wrath. John records it in Revelation. He said, I saw the dead, the great, and the small standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Are you confident today that when you die, you're going to be with Jesus? Let me, I mean, I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation because once you commit your life to Christ, you are saved, but your life changes also. But there are a lot of people who think, and you know, back when I was a baby, my kids, my parents had me dedicated or they had me baptized or they, I went through this class or I did this. I walked in the aisle. I was this, I was that. And then their life never changes. Never. Now, I'm not talking about being perfect. None of us in here are perfect. We still deal with sin. We still struggle with sin, but our lives are not characterized by it. We don't live like we've never been saved. But some people today who claim to know Jesus say, I'm saved by grace. I can live like I want. It doesn't matter. In fact, it seems to me like today, people who say, well, I'm saved by grace are looking for as many ways as they can to live on the edge of sin as possible. 
I'm not standing here being critical or condemning. I'm just telling you that when you follow Jesus, he doesn't let you keep on living the same way. When you come to Christ, he doesn't say, well, I'm, I'm in a lifestyle or I'm in sin. And you know what, Lord, I, I commit my life to you. And Jesus said, fine, you got your fire insurance, you're going to heaven. Now you just keep living like you want to. He doesn't do that. People that come to know Jesus, they don't stay the same. Now we're not perfect. But can you go back to the time in your life when you gave your life to Jesus? Now listen, I know you may not remember the date. It's okay. I can't remember all the dates I've ever done everything. But I do remember, I do remember as a boy of about 11 or 12 years old. And if I wanted to know bad enough, I could go back and look it up. But it was 11 or 12. The last night of boys camp, Thursday night, Beach Springs Baptist Encampment and smack over Arkansas. <laughs> and there is such a place. I knew that night, even though I've been raised in church, even though I'd been baptized as a six-year-old, even though I was the pastor's son, I realized I don't know Jesus. I'm resting on my church membership. I'm resting on my heritage. I'm resting on my baptism. I don't know Jesus. And folks, I want to tell you that, in fact, what stirred me up was the, the evangelist said, do you know for certain that if you die tonight, you go to heaven and be with Jesus? And all of a sudden, the reality hit me that said, you know, I want to believe that. After all, I should have gotten credit for my dad being a pastor. I should have gotten credit because I've been in church all my life. I should have gotten credit because I know the scripture or whatever. You know, you can rest on a lot of stuff, but when it comes right down to it, you better know who you stand on. His name is Jesus. And he means it when he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Charles Spurgeon wrote, the common temptation today is instead of really repenting, to talk about repentance. Instead of heartily believing, to say I believe. Instead of truly loving, to talk of love without loving. Instead of coming to Christ, to speak about coming to Christ and profess to come to Christ and yet not come at all. Chad Walsh wrote an intriguing book entitled Early Christians of the 21st Century. And I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to read this slow because it's got some big words in it. But listen to what he says. Millions of Christians live in a sentimental haze of vague piety. With soft organ music trembling in the lovely light from stained glass windows. Their religion is a pleasant thing of emotional quivers Divorced from the will, divorced from the intellect, and demanding little except lip service to a few harmless platitudes. I suspect that Satan has called off his attempt to convert people to agnosticism. After all, if a man travels far enough away from Christianity, he is liable to see it in perspective and decide that it's true. It's much safer from Satan's point of view to vaccinate a man with a mild case of Christianity so as to protect him from the real disease. 
You see, there are so many people today who can find a group of people that will make them feel good and never tell them the truth and never speak about sin and fit the lifestyle, whatever it is you want to live. They'll say, it's okay. We just believe in grace. Well, I want you to know no one believes in grace more than I do, but grace does not give you the license to sin, to live like you want, to go with the world. Jesus also speaks, speaks of a fixed faith and a firm foundation. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The word rock here, he built his house on the rock. The word is Petros. Now you've heard this before because at Caesarea Philippi, Stay with me. I can tell you're not enjoying this too much. Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, our Catholic friends believe that he meant that he will build the church on the apostle Peter. But that's not what he meant. The Petros was the statement that he made, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's what the church will be built on. And now that same word, Petros, is right here in Matthew. He built his house upon the rock, Jesus Christ. And him alone. Now notice it says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Not just believes them. Not just hears them. Not just repeats them. Who does them. You see, folks, the scripture is clear that man does not save himself. Our own works can't save ourselves, but when you follow Jesus, when you follow Jesus, the works are going to follow you. He changes your life. You you still may try to sin, it's just not as fun as it was. Something's wrong, because the Holy Spirit in you is grieved. Now, if you've heard me say that all people in church are perfect, you've heard me wrong. Because this is nothing but a hospital for sinners. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. But we're saved unto good works. We're saved to grow. We're to be doers of the word and not hearers only as James 1 talks about. In other words, a person who professes to know Christ but does not obey Christ has no lasting image that he knew what new life was all about anyway. In fact... The true mark of discipleship is obedience. I got amused at what Sarah Watson wrote. She said, my cousin-in-law told me that his ancestors had to leave England for stealing sheep. They went to Holland but had to leave for practicing their religion. 
So they came to America where they could steal sheep and practice their religion simultaneously. John says, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John 2, verse 3, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. The only validation we can ever have of salvation is a life of obedience. I'm going to say that again. The only validation we can ever have of salvation is a life of obedience. It'd be nice if when we got saved, God put a mark on us. Oh, see, I've got my, I'm saved. I got a mark right here. But he doesn't do that. First John, the whole book was written to let people know they've been saved. In fact, he said in First John 5, these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. And what are the three, what are three of the evidences? First of all, your life will not be characterized by sin. No matter how popular it is, no matter how good it feels, if, that the Holy Spirit and the Scripture tells us no, we say no, I'm not going to do that. The second is that you will have a love for God's people. Warts and all. Stinky and all. Sheep stink. You know that? You ever been around them? Just get one of them wet. but you love God's church you love his people I understand when people can't attend we're not talking about church attendance is not the sign that you're a Christian but if you are a true believer you want to be with God's people you just do and the third thing is that you have a love for his word you want to know what it has to say you want to dig deeper you want to know God what do you want me to do I have committed my life to you that's interesting because just a few verses prior to this he said that someday people are going to say well I, I did these things in your name Jesus said why you call me Lord when you don't even do what I ask you to do You see, when you're under the lordship of Christ, you have a desire to live like he wants you to live. And we're, and we're still growing. The good thing is God's still not finished with us. Salvation is complete. In fact, beginning next Sunday, we're going to talk about being complete in Jesus Christ. Your salvation, you don't need any more. You don't need to be saved any more than you've been saved through Jesus Christ. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. But when you come to know Jesus, the only validation of that is your obedience when you follow him. That's how people know. The floods refer to the coming judgment of God, but it's the foundation that matters. You've seen pictures, you've seen reports of a fire 
burns a house to the ground, the only thing left is a foundation. Or maybe you've seen a catastrophic flood or tornado, hurricane, houses are wiped away, the foundation is still there. Well, I'm going to ask you today, where is your foundation? Because if it's not in Jesus Christ, then your life will be wiped away, away from God. Vance Havener told a story about a husband who came home from work one afternoon, found his wife was visibly upset. He said, honey, what's wrong? And she said, well, this afternoon, a man came to our front door and rang the doorbell. I didn't recognize him, but he was well-dressed. So I opened the door and he said, good afternoon, ma'am. Could I ask you a question? Do you know Jesus Christ? And when he asked me that, I was so flustered that I shut the door in his face. And I've been thinking about his question all afternoon. Her husband got upset and said, honey, why didn't you just tell him that you and I are charter members of our church and that you've been teaching a lady Sunday school class for 20 years and you sing in our choir every Sunday? Why didn't you tell him that? She thought for a moment and she said, that's not what he asked. He asked if I knew Jesus. And the question for you today is, do you know Jesus? You can know about him. You can be a professional churchgoer. Believe me, I know about going to church. I've been in church all my life. All of it. I know when to stand up, when to sit up, shut up, pay up, get up, get out. I can walk in any Baptist church and be comfortable. I just about know where everything is. But I can tell you there's a difference in just going to church and being religious and knowing Jesus. And I can't do it for you. I can't make you do it. But Jesus would say, you've got to follow me. And so that's why here at Southcrest, we try to lift up Jesus. Because none of us in this room can save you. Only Jesus can. And he's the one worthy of honor and praise and worship. Because only he can change your life. Now, I know that many of you have given your life to Christ. I know that. And praise God. And I'm not here to make you doubt that. Because it is by faith. You have to trust, but there's a time in your life when you realize that, just like I did at 11 years old, I said, Lord, I realize I'm separated from you, even though I know everything about being saved, I've never crossed the line. And I want to tell you, it was a battle in my own life that night when I thought, what are people going to say? I'm the pastor's son. I've been baptized. I've been a member of Westside. I've done all of this, and yet I'm going to tell them I do not know Jesus. But I didn't care because all I knew was I needed Jesus. And I asked God to forgive me. And you know what? God wants to forgive you. He does, or he would not have sent Jesus here in the first place. And I, and I believed in my heart, I, as much as I knew how, Lord, I believe you're the only way to be saved. And right now, I commit my life to you. I said it out loud to him, Lord, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe you put the sin on him. And I commit my life to you, Lord. I ask you to save me. And I want to tell you, I didn't see lightning flash across the sky. 
I didn't see Jesus walk on the water. But I had a peace in my heart that only the Holy Spirit could put there. Going to church won't give you peace. (laughs) Only Jesus can do that. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't have to join Southcrest. That's not going to take you to heaven. Everybody that's on the road to Southcrest isn't going to heaven. So it's not going to take you there. I don't know who they are. I just know that there'll be a lot of people join a church and then you never see them again and you wonder what kind of a commitment was that? I'm not God and, and you better be glad I'm not. And I'm glad I'm not. I don't want to be. But I just want you to know more than anything else to have peace in your heart. And I want to tell you something. The other storms that come in life, and, and guess what? You're not going to go through this life without difficulty. Don't blame God for it. Blame mankind. We're the ones that messed it up. We're the ones that brought sin. We're the ones that cursed the world. We're the ones that messed it all up. And we're going to go through storms. And the difference is a religious person doesn't have anything to hold on to. But a person who's committed their life to Jesus, Jesus holds on to them. You don't have to hold on to him. He holds on to you. And he gives you a peace, even in the midst of difficulty and heartache. He gives you peace. If you don't know Christ, I don't know how to make it any simpler. You turn from your sin, ask God to forgive you. Turn from it. I've changed my mind about it. I'm going to stop it. I'm coming to Jesus today. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, for those who are watching online, for those who may have seen this on television, for those who are in this very room without Jesus, please show them clearly. Strip away the mask of religion. Strip away the good works and man's righteousness to see that without Jesus, we have no hope. I pray that you'll speak to the hearts of every age in this room, that people would would ask themselves even now that you would reveal to them, what is your eternity based on? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Father, I pray that they would even now turn from their sin, confessing it to you, inviting Christ into their life. I pray for believers who we have sort of walked on top of grace many times because we feel like works don't save us so we don't have to worry about what our lives look like. But Lord, forgive us. and We confess our sin to you, asking you to to help us, to, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray for those that need a church. You told us, Lord, to, 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 that you, you gave your life for the church. So pray for those that need a church. I pray for those that need to be baptized, that you give them strength and courage to do so. Lord, help us to be, to be real, to be people who love you and honor you with our lives and the way that we work and go to school and in our neighborhoods. Help us to be people that are lights in a world of darkness. 
I pray right now that people would have victory in their life, that people would come to know you as Savior, that people would confess sin and make, and, and when they walk out of this room, they'll never be the same again. So Lord, we thank you for your love and your forgiveness. Thank you for never writing us off or giving up on us. But I pray now that you'd bring people to you In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.